In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Kent C. Dodds about using the render prop pattern to build extremely reusable UI components like Kent's own autocomplete library, Downshift. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 79. Hey everyone, welcome to Full Stack Radio episode 79. Uh, today I'm joined by Kent C. Dodds, who is uh, pretty well known in the React community as uh, sort of a contributor and teacher and sort of a community guy. Uh, so how's it going, Kent? Thanks for joining me on the show today. Yeah, it's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, so I guess for anyone who's uh, not familiar with you, do you mind sort of just briefly introducing yourself and talking uh, a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a software developer in uh, Utah, and I work for PayPal. I'm, um, I, I was a product engineer. Now I'm doing more um, tooling stuff for helping teams be more productive. Um, I represent PayPal on the TC39. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. And I also, am a, like you said, I'm a teacher. So I, I teach on Egghead.io and Frontend Masters. Then um, I do my own workshops and things. So lots of fun stuff. Awesome. Well, uh, the reason that I want to have you on the show is because I've been, I, I watched your Egghead courses that came out uh, recently, especially the, the Advanced React Component Patterns course, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. And there's some, lots of like really uh, interesting ideas in there. And it kind of led me down looking through like some of the other work that you've done and some of the other blog posts that you'd written. And I stumbled upon um, the Downshift library uh, that you released under uh, the PayPal GitHub organization, I guess, towards the end of the summer. And uh, there was just some like really interesting ideas in there that were really exciting to me in terms of how you're solving a lot of problems uh, that I think have been really annoying problems in the sort of JavaScript UI library reusability space um, for a long time now. So I thought it would be really interesting to sort of chat with you um, about that project and some of the ideas behind it. Uh, that I think make it a really interesting tool. So I guess for anyone who hasn't seen it, do you mind talking uh, a little bit about like what the Downshift library is and when you'd use it? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I can just tell the story of, of how it came to be and that'll um, hopefully they'll come in out of that. So I um, was working on the cross-border team at PayPal for uh, peer-to-peer payments. So if you want to send money to a friend in another country, you'll use that my flow. And part of that flow... Um, is selecting a country, so that's a, a drop-down, like an autocomplete kind of uh, search interface. And then um, another part is uh, selecting your the contact that you want to send that money to, and that can be one of your contacts, or it could just be like a phone number or a, or a email address. Um, and then we have other flows that are not cross-border, but in the same app um, for like sending domestic transactions and stuff. Um, and they also have um, autocomplete uh, solutions that are um, slightly different in the way that they look and feel and, and a little bit of in their behavior. And so um, as we like implemented all of these different autocompletes, we ended up having three autocomplete solutions in our app um, that we're sending to the browser. And, and sometimes they never see it and we're like, code splitting and all that. But still, it's it's just total, uh, total nightmare. Um, and I was, um, I needed to add uh, the country selector to a different flow and the way that it was built made it really hard to just like reuse that same code. And so I, 
I needed to re-implement it again. And I was really sick and tired of re-implementing <laughs> this thing. And um, anybody who's worked with autocompletes before knows that it's like, th like this should be a pretty familiar story. Every single autocomplete is like a little different. Um, I personally have built four of them. Um, <laughs> Downshift was my fifth that I'd ever built. Um, and like I built one in vanilla JS and then another in Angular and, and then a couple in React. So yeah, it's just like, I'm really, really tired of building this over and over again. Every single time there's like a slight difference from the last one that I built, um, whether that be behavioral or otherwise. Um, most of the time it's just a look and feel. Yeah, so, so I think like before we get any further, like what what are sort of the pain points with like existing autocomplete libraries out there that like forced you to have to just rebuild this thing from scratch every single time, um, you know, that you needed to implement an autocomplete? What was stopping you from using like select eyes or, or one of these other, uh, you know, more traditional jQuery plugin style libraries or anything? Yeah, there are a couple of things. Um, I think... One of the biggest is their their size. Um, they're just like so huge because autocomplete um, kind of encompasses a lot of uh, different use cases, and so accounting for all those use cases in the library results in a really big um, uh, bundle size for that library. Another is the customizability of those. So maybe they'll provide class names for styles that you can apply and stuff, but what if I want the menu to render above? I'm either going to have to provide an extra option so that is even more API to, um, you know, to learn, or I like have to um, do some really weird things with CSS or something um, to, to make that work. So, um, or I just can't do that at all. And so, uh, and then the other thing is accessibility. Um, most like autocomplete uh, combo box uh, kind of components are really, really hard to make accessible. There's a lot of stuff you have to consider um, because yeah, there's no like, um, implementation for the web, like uh, built-in implementation in the browsers for a combo box like this. I mean, there's a select, but that's, you know, <laughs> sure, <laughs> not quite what we're looking for. So, um, yeah, so I think those are some of the biggest, biggest reasons. Uh, I, and like it all kind of, kind of factors back down into the fact that I don't have control over what is going to be rendered. So I say, I want an autocomplete here and that autocomplete is going to control like whether there's an input rendered or some fancy div with like that's overlaid over the input, like some of these components do some really weird things to make it make the experience look, um, you know, the the way that they the original creators wanted this experience to look. And if I don't like the way they implemented it because it makes things harder for me, then I I don't really have a choice because they're rendering whatever they render, and I'm I just can like slap some CSS on there. Um, so yeah, I think those are some of the biggest pain points. Like I, I couldn't use their, uh, their stuff because the way that it was rendering. And so um, at the same time that I was building this or working on this problem, um, I saw a talk by Ryan Florence called Compound Components. And um, he gave it at PhoenixJS, I think. And it just kind of opened my mind to this idea of giving the user the power to render what they want to render. And Downshift uh, started out doing using this compound components uh, pattern, um, and I was like super excited about it because it meant that I could put the input wherever I wanted, or I could put the um, the menu wherever I wanted, or all these different things. Um, but what ended up happening was um, with with the compound components pattern, uh, 
the like you can expose um, like specific components like your downshift input component and your downshift menu component, your downshift item component. Um, and, and you can control how the, like when those are rendered and where they're rendered and stuff. But um, like being able to use downshift in your own stuff um, requires a higher order component or something. And I'm not really hot on that pattern. Um, and the, like the composition, like where the composition takes place is outside of the render method. And so you have to go look in a lot of different places to figure out where things are being like pulled in together. And so um, I, uh, as one of the compound components I, I put together to kind of solve this problem was the downshift controller. And that used a render prop. And so a, a function as a child. So between the open and closing tag of the downshift controller, you'd uh, provide a function. And I would call that function with um, like a bunch of downshift options, like um, whether or not it's open and like a function to toggle its open state, all kinds of stuff. And then you can put anything in there that you want to and, and control the component. Um, and eventually I decided like I liked that API better. And I was like, well, why don't I just do the whole thing as just this downshift controller? And at that point, I realized, well, no, I'll just make the entire thing a render prop. Uh, just use uh, function as child. And then people can render whatever they want to, and, and it doesn't matter. They don't have to use any weird higher order component or anything. They just render what they like. Um, but then I faced a problem of like, how do I, um, I um, like make sure that the input has the right events and things uh, hooked onto it? So I still was kind of doing this component thing where you'd have to render the downshift input, and I still didn't like that. So um, I ran into uh, Jared Forsyth um, at the airport in San Jose just randomly. And I, I was like, hey, listen, I have this component I'm working on. I think it's, it's going to be really great, but I have this problem. What do you think? And he said, well, what if um, as part of your render prop, you provide um, an object that has all of the props you want people to apply to the input? So it's like input props, and then they just spread those on the input, and then that'll have your on-click and your um, accessibility stuff on there too. And, uh, and so I, I, like, that was the first time I'd ever heard of doing something like that. And I, I later call that um, uh, prop collections. Um, so that's the prop collections pattern. But then there's a weakness, like, what if I wanted my own on-click handler and you, you apply, you know, uh, or like you force me to apply this on-click handler to the menu button or whatever. Um, and so then I change that to like get input props. And then you, you pass any props that you want to apply to the input. And then downshift is responsible for composing those things together. Yeah. So that's the prop um, getter pattern. Um, and so, yeah, like it was really cool to build this thing and, and uh, use some existing patterns and kind of come up with some other patterns with, with some really smart uh, folks um, and kind of solve the, the autocomplete problem once and for all, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. That's a great story. So I think, um, I think it'd be worth sort of diving into some elements of that in a little bit more detail for people who, who aren't as familiar with like how some of this stuff works. Um, mm. So the idea of like a render prop in general, right, is you have a component, but unlike like a traditional UI plugin or library where maybe you expose a ton of configuration options and a bunch of classes to style things. Um, the goal with like the render prop is to sort of give up complete control to the consumer, 
right? Like you, you have no opinion about how they render this autocomplete box, how it looks, um, what classes are on there, you know, any of that stuff. And, and that sounds like a really exciting thing to be able to do. But I think before, um, this idea of, you know, render props, which you can talk about a little bit more, that was like a question where it was hard to come up with an answer for how to provide all that control. Right. Um, but the exciting thing about a render prop is that, so, you know, something we haven't even mentioned that we should probably mention is that like downshift is a react component, right? Yeah. Um, We've made a bit of an (laughs) assumption there, Um, (laughs) but, but the idea, right, I guess is just like you might pass like any other data into one of your components. Um, you're also passing in like a function that, tells it how to render itself and that function accepts like a ton of arguments uh, or even you know maybe just one argument that's an object with a ton of options on it or whatever but basically like your component downshift all it's doing is telling you about all of its state right and and how things are sort of set up and then you just get to use that information to decide on what you should do with it so like you're saying, you have like a way to get all of the props that need to be added to an input. Um, so wherever you render your input, we'll make sure that you include these props because Downshift needs them. Or if you want to control whether or not, you know, the div that shows all the autocomplete options is displayed, um, Downshift isn't going to render a div or style a div or do any of that stuff. All it's going to do is give you like a little flag that says, hey, as far as I know, this should be open right now, or this should be closed right now. And you can check, well, you know, if is open, well, then let's include this div in our template, in our JSX or whatever. If not, don't. Um, here's mm-hmm. all the items that should appear in the autocomplete. So just loop over them and render them out or map those into elements, however you want to do it. It's just like so fascinating to me as an approach because it takes sort of the the general idea of like higher order functions, right? Where, you know, the whole goal is to just be able to parameterize logic and just pass more control to the consumer but brings it to like user interface components which is just like such an interesting place to sort of apply that um you know that pattern uh, mm-hmm. and it's really cool to to sort of see um you know how how that kind of works does that jive with kind of your understanding of 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 how that works or am i missing anything or is there anything else really exciting about like how that works that you think is worth mentioning yeah, I, I like that you mentioned it's kind of like a higher order function applied to a UI components. I, I never actually thought about it that way, but it kind of makes sense that it's like um, um, what, what we're trying to do is enhance our, um, our own component with some downshift capabilities. And, um, and so uh, we can use the render prop pattern to kind of do that. And I, I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, and it really... Like downshift solves the the problems that I had with other autocomplete libraries because it just handles the um, the logic and lets me take control over the rendering. And so, like if I want the menu to be rendered above the input, well, I just move that in my JSX, yeah. and, and I'm in total control. I don't have to do any weird CSS things. Yeah. And then the other thing I think is an important point is um, just because. There's like a you know for your input, I want you to apply get input props like apply the props that you get back from that. Um, just because that exists doesn't mean you have to use it. So downshift exposes pretty much all of the um, the methods that you need to like kind of create your own input if you want to. So if you don't like the way that downshift is um, like applying props to this input or something like you don't like 
how these um, how the behavior is, then it's really easy to um, avoid um, like or or to make downshift not do those things. You just don't use that that function. Um, and then also like uh, um, I just answered a question yesterday from somebody who didn't like how when you tab out of the downshift input, it'll reset everything to the selected item. So it'll like two string the the item that is like the last selected item. Um, they, they just want it to, to leave it as it is. Um, and so like on your get input props, you provide your own blur event handler, like on blur, you take that event and you say prevent default on that event. And then downshift will check whether the default was prevented. And if it was, then it just won't do its thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's really easy to, uh, kind of compose your own behavior and change, change the existing behavior, um, or, or simply not use. Uh, downshifts behavior if you don't like it yeah um, and and then all of this is coming in at like 15 um, kilobytes um, in minified which I think is pretty awesome yeah um, accomplishment where or the alternative is like 70 or 50 kilobytes yeah man that's so cool so uh, I think something that would be maybe useful to talk about that would help people sort of understand how this works if if this is a brand new concept to them would maybe be to to sort of talk about some of the some of the parameters that downshift passes to your render callback to sort of understand how people understand i guess like what downshifters are responsible for and what you're responsible for as well as just sort of cover some of the more interesting pieces of state that maybe people might not consider that you have to expose you know when you're trying to design something that works this way so um, in addition to stuff like, you know, the props that should be blended into an input element, should you choose to use one, um, what other stuff is getting past or sort of exposed to the end user that they have to sort of, you know, inspect and work with to decide how they should generate their template? Yeah, good question. So um, in the downshift docs, there's this section on the render prop function where it explains how that how that works and and it divides the um, so so your your render prop function. Um, I switch from uh, the children um, prop to the render prop because most people um, I found get kind of confused with the children prop idea. Um, so um, yeah. So anyway, the render prop function is called with a single argument. Um, and most people will destructure that argument to pull off the pieces that they need. Um, but the, that object um, is kind of, you can split it into three different categories. And so you have your prop getters. It's like your get input props, uh, your get um, you know, item props, and th those kinds of things. Um, pretty much anything that Downshift needs to be able to like apply um, uh, event handlers to and, and that kind of thing. And then... Um, you have your actions, so things that you can do. So if you want to render your own menu toggle button or if you want to have like a reset button or something, um, then you can um, use these actions. So there's like clear selection, um, close menu, toggle menu, reset. Um, so a couple of like, or set highlighted index even. So you can um, bind those to your own like click handlers on something that yeah. you had. Yep, exactly. And then um, the third is state. And actually, it's surprising to me when I finished all of this, I looked at the state section and I was like, well, there's only four 
items of state um, for the downshift component, which really um, is remarkable considering how complex uh, an experience this is. But yeah. you just need your highlighted index input value um, is open and selected item. Um, and with all of that, you can build your experience. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that's CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that helps you increase your development productivity and ship to production more frequently. CodeShip lets you standardize your tooling and processes across your teams, speeds up your build times, and integrates into your existing ecosystem of tools. CodeShip is a great fit for your team, whether you're just trying to speed up the build times for large apps, or if you want to set up complex delivery pipelines for your microservices using tools like Docker, Kubernetes, and others. Forrester recently released their latest continuous integration tools report, which provides valuable guidance into the rapidly growing continuous integration and continuous delivery market. And CodeShip actually scored as a top five continuous integration vendor in this report. If you're interested in reading this report and learning more about what makes for a great continuous integration and continuous delivery service, uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode and I'll have a link there for you. So if you want to spend less time managing your tools and speed up your software development, give CodeShip a try and sign up for free today at CodeShip.com. I've been a user of CodeShip uh, for many years for all the open source projects that I run continuous integration on, as well as private projects where I use CI, and I couldn't be happier with the service. So thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring the podcast this week, and back to the show. So yeah, the four pieces of state. So maybe that would be like an interesting place to sort of dive in um, first if we want to talk about some of this stuff in more detail, because I think that's probably like the simplest pieces for people to sort of understand um so is open that's kind of an obvious one right you would check that to decide whether or not to render the element that's going to show the options to choose from mm -hmm. um you said the other one was uh highlighted what, index so highlighted index so is that the index of so say you have like an autocomplete window open and you sort of have like these candidate options that you haven't actually like chosen and like locked in as a selected option, but that's sort of telling you which one the user either has like keyboard focus on or maybe mm -hmm. even mouse hovering on. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that, and that's why we need uh, the get in, uh, get item props is so that we not only know how many items you've rendered, but also um, like uh we add an on mouse over so that we can set the highlighted index as, yeah. as the user's mousing over or scrolling, um, but also a keyboard uh, control. So if they're doing, you know, down key or up key, then that will update the highlighted index. And then you can use that state. Uh, the pretty much only time you need to use that state is just to, um, like do some sort of styling for yeah. the, your items. To so you want to say user. maybe like this should have like a sort of a light blue background to sort of indicate that like this is the currently active item. So I think like it's mm -hmm. interesting to talk about some of this stuff in depth because it sort of gives people an idea and might help it sort of click for people's brains. Like just how little downshift is doing from a sort of UI rendering side, because I think it's literally zero, right? Like I don't think it yeah. has anything um there's, and just there's how no much, jsx yeah <laughs> which is really cool and then um because the thing that i find fascinating about it is it's a ui library that provides no ui you know what i mean yeah. Like it's, <laughs> yeah which is just such a cool idea um but uh you know it helps people sort of understand like just how much control they have you know like oh okay so mm -hmm. they just tell me which one is highlighted 
um, according to the internal state of the component. And then it's just totally up to me to decide what to do with that. Whereas if you're used to using like a more traditional plugin or something, you'd have some configuration option where um, it's like, well, you should apply these styles on the currently hovered item or there's some documentation that says we will apply this class when like the item is like focused and you can write like some CSS to do that, which, which, you know, it works, I guess, right. To, to some degree, but there's like a threshold to, to what you can do in terms of customizability at that point where it's yeah, just, and better it's more to just, API to learn. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, but yeah, there's like a threshold that you hit where eventually like I sort of like have this mental image in my head of like, imagine a library like downshift where someone's asking for another option. It's like, okay, we'll add another option. We'll add another mm-hmm. option. Eventually like that library just sort of gets fed up and just says, you know what? Like you do it all. I don't care. Yep. <laughs> and that's like sort of what this whole sort of approach is all about. Right. Which is, which is really interesting. So what, what were the other two state uh, parameters? So the, There's input value. Um, so that's really useful for when you are like if you're wanting to filter the items that are available. So I should say that um, Downshift can it, the original intent was to build uh, like combo boxes or autocomplete kind of experience, um, but it, it is just as easy to build a drop-down menu as well with Downshift. Um, so you pretty much just don't call get input props, and you don't care about the input value. You just use a button to toggle open and close the menu, mm-hmm. and that's still really useful. Um, but yeah, if you are doing something with the input autocomplete kind of thing, then you'll need to know what the input value is to filter your items. And you uh, wouldn't use that like to actually control the value of your input, right? Like that would come from the get input props. Yeah, yeah. So actually, um, we we can talk about controlled uh, props in in a little bit. I definitely want to talk about how to control this state um, okay. from the outside in. But um, yeah, you wouldn't set this to the value prop of your input. Downshift you would just would use it to, to compute your own sort of other stuff. Like maybe it's used as part of deciding what items you're sort of seeding downshift with, right? Like you said, filtering mm-hmm. is maybe a good example. So if you have a hundred items and someone types the letter F and you know that the input is F, well, we want to filter it down to only items that start with F or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and actually just to plug something, a really good library for that is called Match Sorter. Uh, it's something, it actually, I extracted it from the first library I ever built uh, called Genie, um, which is kind of a fun story, but we can leave that. Um, but Match Sorter is really great because it um, will sort items in an intuitive way for the user. Um, so you can check that out for, for doing that filtering. Awesome. awesome, man. And then uh, what was the fourth piece of state? The fourth one is the selected item. Got um, it. So there's a there's a time period between when the user selects an item and then they're typing to select a different item. And so that selected item will stay that selected item until they select a new one. Um, and so like you can style things a little differently or you can like display something special when there's a selected item. There's also like, if it's um, if this is required, then maybe you'll have some error validation or something um, based on the selected item. Awesome. So um, another piece that I was sort of interested in, uh, in talking about in a little bit more detail is how it works with like the items that you're you're passing to downshift. So unlike maybe a library, another library out there that tries to do this similar sort of thing, I if I understand correctly, downshift doesn't take any responsibility for any of like the filtering of the options or anything like that, right? So its API is it's one of the props that you give to downshift is like all of the items 
that should be included to choose from, right? Well, actually, it's even less useful, I guess, um, because you don't you don't ever give it um, any items. And in most use cases, um, downshift shouldn't have to know about your items at all. Um, if you're doing like windowing or something, then it's it's useful for downshift to know how many items you have because if the user is using the keyboard, they hit the up arrow. Downshift needs to know, okay, now that you've, you're at like index zero and I've, I hit the up um, arrow, I need to know what the last item is Got or it, what yeah. the last inde index is. Um, and so the only way that Downshift knows how many items there are is based off of how many um, times you call get item props. Um, interesting. It, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's a little bit little bit on the hacky side, but I, I really can't think of a reason why it's bad. So no, um, I think it that, works. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Like now that I think about it, like I guess my original mental model was like you have your parent component that like wraps Downshift to actually make it into something that has an interface and an actual UI that someone can interact with. And I was thinking that you would pass the items into Downshift and then Downshift would expose those items again to you in the render callback. But there's no real reason to do that, right? You can just iterate over the parent component state, um, which contains those items or, you know, a function that returns the filtered items um, or whatever. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting too. So Downshift doesn't even really care about um, the items that you're actually using. So then yep. with something like the get item props function, that has to take an argument, I'm assuming, right? Like do you yeah, have to it tell does. it about what the current item is? Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So you tell it, um, you can optionally tell it um, what the index of that item is because if, if you're uh, like grouping things in a special way or something, uh, you can say this item's index is this. So when when the highlighted index is this, then this is the you know highlighted item, and that's useful for uh, functions like select highlighted item and, and stuff like that um, that Downshift also uses internally. Um, but that's an optional um, uh, um, parameter because um, otherwise Downshift will just base things off of the order in which you call get um, item props. Um, but a required parameter to that is the item, so that when like item like at index six is selected, then it needs to uh, set the selected item to whatever um, the item at index six was. And then does it care about what what it means to pass it an item? Like, is it totally up to you to say, well, like, you know, my how I want you to know about this item is really just like an ID for some yeah. thing, or maybe it's a string, or maybe it's an object, or... Yeah, it can be anything. Yeah. Um, and so the the only stipulation there is um, when, down, when you select an item, uh, then downshift is going to set uh, the input value to um, something that represents that item. And the default um, is just, it calls toString on that item. Um, and so if, if you set it to an object, then you need to provide an item to string prop. Got it. Um, and that'll call your function and you can serialize that down to a string. Nice. Makes a lot And of it sense. also, it'll, it'll give you a warning in the console if what you, your items are objects and it tries to call to string on, on that. Um, if you haven't provided your own implementation of item to string, then it'll say, Hey, listen, you're, you haven't provided your own implementation of item to string and you're, you're calling this default implementation with an object that doesn't have a to string on it. So that's not going to be what you want. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I think um something else that would be interesting to talk about that kind of feels related to to that sort of thing is how much has sort of the API of downshift evolved 
over time as you've sort of gotten feedback from people on like, well, I want to be able to do this and, um, you know, downshift doesn't let me do it. Like, I guess how much do you think you were able to sort of like anticipate what you needed to expose in terms of like state and actions and stuff like that? And, and how much has that changed? And is there any sort of like really interesting pieces in there that you think are useful lessons learned for people who want to design their own components, like using this sort of approach? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first I'd say I've, I've published over a hundred packages on NPM. Um, so I, I do have a little bit of, of experience in developing um, reusable modules for people. Uh, so I, um, yeah, the other thing is that Downshift is still in version one. Um, and so that I haven't had to publish any breaking changes, which is uh, pretty cool for a component like this. Um, so yeah, I, I think one of the really, really nice things um, about Downshift is that um, it, it just does so little for you that it like, I, I mean, it does so much and so little. Um, and, and the fact that it does so little makes it really uh, simple so that you don't have to, like there's not too much that uh, Downshift is doing that you don't like and you want to have changed. Um, and it's maybe just a little bit of extra work to get um, your the experience that you want you know, in, into Downshift. So yeah, there have been a couple of additions. Um, and I actually, so like I said, I, I started with the children for the render prop um, and then switched it to a prop called render, which I think is a little more clear. Um, but you can actually use either one, they both still work. Um, and I, I just changed all the documentation and examples to use the render version because I think that's a little more straightforward, but you can use either. Uh, so, and then there's one other thing is, um, there's a section in the readme called upcoming breaking changes. Um, and so I, I really like to avoid breaking changes when possible. I, I definitely adhere to Semver. Um, but uh, some, there was one, one case in particular um, when, um, yeah, like you'll have to look into it a little bit more. I, I honestly have kind of forgotten it. But um, to avoid a, a breaking change, and it would have been pretty minor, um, you can provide a prop called breaking changes, and that's going to be an object that has flags for all of the, like to opt into all of the breaking changes that are upcoming. Um, and there's only one right now. It's called reset input on selection. Um, and you can look into that a little bit more. So th that's that's a way I can... Um, enable people who are having a problem with something to uh, kind of opt into and like the new way of doing things without actually having to publish a breaking change. Yeah. Right now. Cool. Um, so one thing that you mentioned that you wanted to talk about a little bit more was like the idea of controlled um, props. So is that like a react term that most people are, who use react are familiar with? Cause I actually don't use react in my day to day uh, work. I actually do a lot of view stuff. So it's interesting mm. for me to sort of look at like what people are doing with stuff like the render props pattern and what you're doing with downshift and try and sort of apply some of those same ideas in another library, which thankfully has been like really easy to do. Um, mm. But that particular term is something that I am not totally familiar with. So it'd be interesting to sort of like define that a little bit and then maybe talk a little bit about why um, that's interesting uh, with Downshift and I guess what Downshift does with that. Yeah, sure. So um, for people who are familiar with React, um, there's uh, like one of the biggest like drawbacks initially for me when I, when I switched from Angular to React was oh, now I don't have ng model that I can apply to my input and have it automatically update some data value or something. 
um, on my controller, and that's really disappointing. Um, so what, what you have to do in React is um, if you want to be able to both control the value of an input as well as um, like have the input update uh, that, that same value, uh, then you use this on change prop on the input to get updates for when the input should be changing. Um, so like when the user's typing. And then if you want to control what the value is, then you provide a value prop. And the moment that you provide that value prop, React says, okay, I'm not ever going to set the value to anything other than what you say. So the user can type all day long and I'm only going to use the value you're, you're providing. And so that's called a control prop. Um, it allows you to have total control. And the nice thing about that is you could have like an input that can only be uppercase letters. And so as the user's typing, it just uppercases them all. Sure. Pretty simple example. Yeah. Um, so in the context of downshift, um, all of the state is uh, controllable. So if you have maybe two autocompletes that uh, um, like should be the same value all the time, um, then I type in one and it updates the other, you're going to want to control the selected item. Um, and so like the user's searching through one, they select an item, the other one gets updated. And so you can provide a selected item uh, prop. And now instead of downshift um, referencing um, its own internal state for what the selected item is, it's going to reference the prop that you're passing. Got it. Um, so that's that's a pretty powerful if you want to do fancy things with the highlighted index. Um, if you don't like the way that downshift is is um, setting the input value or the is open state um, based off of certain parameters, um, and then just like with the input where it says on change, it um, it's like giving you a, a suggestion. Like the user types something, so I suggest you update your your state. But I'm not. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This sure. is just a suggestion. Yeah. Um, so downshift also has an on state change prop that anytime there is um, any state change internally, it will tell you, hey, I suggest to you that the is open state should change, um, but I'm just going to leave that up to you. Um, and because like with an input, there's not many like variations on when something should change. So it's just like on change and here's the on change event. Um, downshift. Um, is a little bit unique in that there are lots of different things get, that can change the is open state. So I can I can key down or I can key up or I can uh, start typing or I can click outside of the um, downshift um, node, like the root node that you render. Um, I, I can do a lot of things to change the is open state as a user. And so the on state change also provides a type so that you know like what type of change is this. Um, so like if you don't like it, when the user clicks outside of the downshift um, node, um, it's going to update the is open state. If you don't like that, then you just check the type. And if the type is like this thing that um, you'll, you'll have to look at the docs to see, I can't even remember. But if it's the like the user clicked out of the <laughs> input, then you just don't up update your own in, is open state. Um, and, and it like will just listen to whatever you say. So yeah. if you, and, and I think that's the other piece um, is because like we've taken care of the UI, um, the the way that things look and feel, uh, but we still haven't and and making that like totally you're in control of that. So I don't need to do a whole lot of thing like uh, a whole lot of stuff in downshift to make any changes to deal with that those use cases. So this is the the logic side of things. Um, if you don't like the way that downshift um, does things from a logic uh, perspective, then you can just control uh, the the state internally. And 
only update things when you think they should be updated. Yeah, that's awesome. So you kind of get the uh, benefit, sort of the best of both worlds, right? Like if you are relying or if you only really need like pretty typical default behavior that, you know, the majority of people are going to need, you basically don't have to do anything. Yeah. But if you uh, want to be able to customize that behavior, you don't have to do anything weird with configuration. Again, you're just sort of given complete control. You can just like take ownership of it entirely, which uh, is really sort of like empowering as the, the end user who's sort of using the component for sure. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out. And uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio. Cool. So um, I think maybe like a couple things that would be interesting to, to talk about a little bit to start wrapping things up is, um, We've talked a lot about downshift, which is an autocomplete component, but are there any other examples that you know of, of kind of reusable components that are designed this way, or even just ideas for reusable components where this would be like a useful way to make it more reusable that you've seen or that uh, you can share? Yeah. So there's actually uh, Jared Palmer, a really awesome person, uh, created a uh, GitHub repo that's an awesome list. So if you're not familiar with awesome lists, it's just a, a GitHub repo with a readme that uh, shows a list of um, things that are awesome. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and this topic is render, React render props components. So um, there are uh, some blog posts and articles about this and, um, and videos and things. And then a bunch of components for animation, routing, forms, inputs, and React Native even. So downshift is listed here. I also created a component uh, called React Toggled, um, which is um, basically like the same idea as Downshift. It has like control props and it has, um, you know, the render prop and it has, um, you know, prop getters and stuff. But because it's only the state of a single Boolean and it's, it's pretty simple, it's just a toggle component. Um, it's actually a really good example of um, how to create a component like this. It's not even 100 lines of code. Um, so I, I actually only created it to be an example. Um, I, I actually didn't have a use case for this. Yeah. Um, so you can look at that and see, uh, see what that is like. Um, and yeah, so there, there are a bunch of uh, cool components. I, I think one of my favorites is uh, like React Router. 
uh, also uses the render prop. React Motion was the first uh, component that I remember hearing um, of using a render prop. Uh, so yeah, props to React Motion for sure. Um, there's this React Functions um, uh, module that just has a whole bunch of uh, render prop components, um, which I think is pretty neat. Uh, React Media is one that I've used a lot too that um, allows you to specify media queries and it'll call your render prop with whether or not that media query is, is true. Oh, that's so cool. it's, it's really nice. It actually, um, like, so you say, I don't want to render this stuff at all if this media query doesn't match. Um, and so it's, it's even better than like a display none because you're not even going down yeah, that render prop. out of the DOM entirely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like that a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Like, it sounds like there's a lot of really creative things that people are doing um, using this approach that you might not have ever thought to do. Like, that idea of using it for media queries is just, like, not an idea that would pop into my head. But it's just sort of, like, kind of gets the wheels turning and opens you up to some sort of interesting ideas. I think it would be really cool to see someone do, like, a calendar component or, like, a date yeah. picker component this way or something, too, because those are always the absolute worst to, to pull in some existing library. And, you know, like what I think is interesting is like, you know, you're talking about how you can basically just like restructure all the elements of this component, however you want. And that's like such a common use case is, you know, you're doing a, a date picker or something, or maybe it has previous and next buttons at the top, but you want them to be at the bottom. Like a lot mm -hmm. of the time you just have to throw that library away now because there's no yeah. way for you to make that change. Um, but using a, a pattern like this, you know, you can create something that it does it, it sort of seems like more work than pulling in like another library but it's not really because like the alternative is actually write something from scratch entirely yourself because of like one <laughs> small deal breaker you know what i mean which yeah. seems to be like what you hit over and over again um yeah well and the nice thing about this pattern and and what i think is the the key of a, a really good pattern is when you can re-implement um the, the old way of doing things in the new way of doing things. And that's when it's like, okay, so this pattern is superior. So even though it's a little bit more work, I could re-implement uh, the React Select component using downshift. Yeah. Um, and, and potentially it could even be uh, smaller uh, in the implementation. I actually, just for fun, um, I use this um, library call or a tool called Preact Habitat um, that allows you to create... Um, like a vanilla JS component um, that you just like put a script tag on your page and then use HTML to um, to configure it and whatever. Um, and so you just load it on your page and poof, it's there. You don't need to have any frameworks or anything. Um, and it just uses Preact. And because Downshift supports Preact, um, I, I was able to build a basic autocomplete component that you can just stick a, a script um, on your page and, and then a couple HTML stuff, no JavaScript, and you have an autocomplete library. That's really and cool. The, and, and you're including the entire Preact framework, and it's still less than 20 kilobytes, <laughs> uh, which like is, is totally mind-blowing. You, you go and compare other vanilla JS solutions, they're all way bigger than that. Um, yeah. And this is, and because it's built on this foundation, if you don't like this basic autocomplete that I created for you, then you can just fork it, and it's like not a whole lot of code, and, and just make your own uh, version of that. Um, so I... I was actually surprised. I was expecting that this would just be a primitive that people would use to build other uh, components that are like cover common use cases. But as it turns out, there are not common use cases with these things as far as the UI is concerned. Mm -hmm. Like um, everybody wants it to look a little different and that's fine. And, and it's 
really easy to do that with the render prop pattern. So, um, yeah, so I, I think it's just a really powerful pattern that a lot, like, um, it's really not any more work. Um, yeah, when you realize the that the alternative is to build it from scratch or hack all these band-aids onto some library that makes it just a real unpredictable mess to work with. Yeah, and, and like, you, you have to learn a huge API. Um, yeah. And lots of that stuff is not useful to you at all. Uh, so you have to glean what parts are, are useful. And, and Downshift started out a lot simpler than it is now, but it's still like the, the readme is scrollable. You can read it in 10 minutes um, to like know everything there is to know about Downshift. Um, so I, I'm pretty proud of that fact. Awesome, man. Well, what is the best way, I guess, for people to uh, keep up with what you, you're working on um, as well as maybe uh, check out some of the courses and stuff that you've put together to cover this sort of topic? Yeah, thanks so, for the opportunity. So I am doing a newsletter every week um, on Monday mornings early. You'll, you'll get that. And um, I, I talk about what I'm working on. So that's the perfect place to, to get an idea. Um, or lots of times it's like questions that I get asked over and over again. I don't want to answer anymore. So <laughs> I just like write a little. It's like a blog post and a newsletter, um, like a thousand words or something um, pretty short normally. And then two weeks later, I'll, I'll publish that newsletter article to um, my Medium blog. Um, and then also, I, I tweet a lot about the things that I'm working on and opportunities for where people can jump in and help and, and stuff. So yeah, um, I'm Kent C. Dodds on Twitter, and my newsletter is kcd.im slash news. Um, and yeah, keep up with me there. Awesome. So um, what about the, uh, the those React courses that you put out on a Oh, yeah, recently? yeah. Yeah, so I, I did just publish two React courses that were way better received than I expected. I, I was really excited about them because I worked really hard on them, and I think that they're, they approach teaching React in a, a unique way um, that, that's really been helpful for people. But the response has been way more than I anticipated, uh, just super positive. So it's on ACAD.io. Uh, you can actually, if you go to kcd.im slash learn dash React, then uh, you'll, you'll find it there. Um, it's a blog post that I wrote a couple weeks ago introducing the two courses. Uh, the beginner's course is totally free, and it's also totally free of configuration. So it's all just index HTML files. So you can focus on learning React and not worry about the magic of Create React app or whatever. And then um, the uh, advanced course is uh, called Advanced React Component Patterns. And I talk about all these patterns that we've talked about today and more. So uh, you can check that out. Get an Egghead subscription there. Totally worth it. <laughs> awesome. I think they're on sale right now too. So good time to pick one up. Well, uh, it's been a blast uh, having you on uh, to talk about this stuff, man. Thanks so much for, for giving me your time and uh, answering some of my questions. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Awesome. Uh, so if anyone is interested in uh, show notes for this episode and checking out uh, some of the links that uh, we shared, uh, you can head over to fullstackradio.com slash 79. Uh, thanks to Rollbar and Codeship for sponsoring the podcast uh, this week. And uh, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, thanks, everyone. See you next time.